Welcome to the Kickstart Podcast, where we highlight the stories of how professionals kickstarted and navigated their successful careers. My name is Preston, and on this episode, we have the pleasure of hosting someone who has worked both in product and software engineering at fast-growing companies like SoundHound and Untapped before becoming the co-founder and chief product officer at Canal, an exclusive network transforming the way products are sold online. Liam, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Preston. It's absolute pleasure. And I guess a fitting way to always get started is just by asking you, for those that don't know who you are, would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm Liam. I'm, I'm an entrepreneur now, and I think I was kind of always destined to be an entrepreneur. I mean, uh, I was raised in a household that was very entrepreneurial. My grandfather started his company, and, and my father took it over. Um, and then uh, my dad went to Stanford, so I grew up reading the Stanford Magazine. It was on the coffee table. And um, I saw all the amazing things that was happening out there. It was my dream school. Ended up there. Um, was always, you know, trying to start my own thing. I was one of those classic guys trying to look for the thing that would let me, uh, let me drop out of school and 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 <laughs> and do something, um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg style. But that that didn't come to pass. Um, I ended up completing my degree in um, computer science, and then uh, going to work as um, an engineer for a couple of years before ending up at, as you said, uh, Untapped, where I was the head of AI. And then after that became uh, the co-founder of Canal, where I'm at. Thank you for sharing that. So before we get into your current uh, company, Canal, I just have to ask. So it seems like it was destined in the stars, if you will, that you would start um, or eventually work for yourself. And, and without going into too much detail, you did give a couple hints that you tried a couple things uh, while at Stanford. Did you mm-hmm. try a couple things even prior college? Did you have a lot of entrepreneurial ventures and stuff with friends? Yeah, you know, I, I was one of those kids, um, you know, making making videos uh, with my friends and, and you know, uh, organizing. I think I was, I, I was a, I'm a born organizer, right? Um, I, I always loved like getting getting the 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 gang together at my house, or um, I loved inventing inventing games growing up. Right, so there's a park uh, three blocks away from my house, my childhood home, and um, I invented a bunch of different games there, uh, involving balls, involving flashlights, variations on tag. Um, so I think from from day one, I was I was a I was an organizer. I loved uh, getting people together. I loved having fun. I loved kind of like moving a group a collective hive mind towards a shared goal so those those things were kind of uh, predestined for me sounds fun you must have been a good friend to have back in those days and so uh, (laughs) (laughs) so you found yourself at stanford and can i ask why why uh, did you major in cs what about that degree really intrigued you yeah well i i I don't. I don't want to misrepresent myself here, Preston. I actually majored in Latin. Yeah, and then I did my. I did my co-term uh, in in CS. But but yeah, I mean, I think I was always really really interested in languages and communication. That's kind of a play on the whole like team and organizing thing. Is as I I loved like lowering the barrier of entry for for two people to just connect and really to like meld their minds together. And so. Uh, I, I mean, I started studying languages a lot in high school for that reason, and then kind of parlayed that into college. And then, um, I mean, coding is just is just languages, right? It's you communicating with the machine, but also you communicating with the other people who are reading your code, right? To be a really excellent coder, you need to write code that is interpretable, that other people can, you know, see and say, oh, I, I understand what this engineer was, was getting at. Um, and so uh, I was really kind of, um, I fell in love pretty quickly with this idea of a, of a language that uh, is actually practical. Full pendulum swing from Latin, which is which is a language that is that is impractical. No one speaks it anymore. So I, I was I was uh, pretty enamored with this idea that there was a language that 
um, not only people spoke, but that like you could um, push directly to to uh, a a product or a surface that you know thousands, millions of people would be would be looking at and using. Um, you certainly cover your basis really well on, on both extremes uh, with Latin engineering, but that totally makes sense. And then of course afterward, it, it seemed like you you uh, got the Silicon Valley, the the start, kind of the startup software SaaS startup bug, and and you worked at a, a handful of companies um, that just grew really fast. And then they were obviously like not all in the same market. They all did uh, different things. So what I found fascinating about your early career, and if I may just ask a couple of questions is you've worked professionally as both as an engineer and even in product. Um, what inspired the kind of the pivot, the, the little mini pivot there and switch? What did you kind of learn from that um, experience? It really was all about scale, right? So as an engineer, you have complete 100% control over the products that you're producing. Um, and the work that you're doing, right? Uh, you literally type in a line of code and it becomes the product that you see before you. Product, you are able to enact your vision at a much larger scale, or maybe not much larger, but at, at a different scale, um, because you are now managing a team of uh, five to 10 engineers and um, kind of enacting uh, that vision across, across the 10 surfaces, up to 10 surfaces that those people are managing, right? Um, so the scale kind of goes up a little bit, but at the same time, the control goes down, right? So as an engineer, you have complete control over what you're building. Um, but as a product manager, you, uh, you have less control, but over, over a lot more scope. I actually described, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a PM at Google about this. And, and I just, I described it as engineering is like earth bending and, uh, product management is like air bending, right? Um, <laughs> You, you, you can't move as much, but but you can move things at a much larger scale. If if that was a reference to Avatar, I'm a huge fan. It was. Um, yeah, it was. Perfect. Got it. Um, <laughs> no, it's 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 great. I, I think from a lot of the founders that we've spoken with in the past, a lot of them just go uh, straight into product and then become a founder. They continue straight into engineering, become a founder. Few uh, that we've spoken with so far have a mix, right? And I think product and engineering go hand in hand, um, but it's different. And I think with by having exposure to both, you, you develop a more holistic set of skills that certainly um, I would imagine uh, ended up being very, very helpful when it came to the time you want to kind of become a founder. So um, just to kind of ask that question, how helpful was it for you now looking back retrospectively in your life to have that experience working both as an engineer and a product before you decide to be uh, a co-founder for for you know your company. Yes, well, I, I was forged in the fire of non-technical product leadership as an engineer. I I, I worked at the hands of many many a non-technical product manager and uh, kind of felt a lot of the frustrations that come with that. Um, you know, not feeling heard, not feeling seen, not feeling like uh, the technical constraints and ramifications of of building something were were taken into account or respected or understood and you know felt bowled over bowled over from time to time. So I, I I definitely I think the worst piece of advice I got when I was going to Stanford was don't study CS because you can always get someone to code for you. Worst piece of advice I've ever heard. Um I I had to be an engineer for five years and study it for four years before that to even begin to understand how to to lead a team that that builds um technical products right um so i think going into product i i kind of swore a vow to uh never become the kind of of product manager that that overlooks the the art really that engineers are are producing right um because coding is 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 an art and 
there's so much thought and so much creativity that goes into it. And it's not just, and you know, it's not one way to produce a line of code that does a thing. There are infinite ways to, to write a, a product that does the same thing. And so it's, it's really, really true that, that engineering is a nuanced and, and such a specialized skill and is so taken for granted um, in Silicon Valley, especially by product managers. So I I've always, always prided myself in being a product leader that is kind of like engineering aware um, and respect. And I, I have great respect for my engineers. I just feel like from, from my exposure, just in, in, in the industry, uh, product folks, uh, first of all, in, in the software side, you're, you're working very closely with the engineering team. It only makes sense that the more domain knowledge and expertise that you have, the better you can just click and gel with the team as well. Um, and so I, I, I can certainly ag agree and resonate with that sentiment. I think that's really fascinating uh, that, that you've done that. And just for the audience, uh, in your as you kind of just started your career, what were some really cool products that you owned and built uh, just kind of working your way up um, fresh into the job force? Yeah, yeah. Um, I had a pretty, I, I think you may, you uh, referred to this earlier, but I had a pretty mixed bag as far as my early career. You know, I did internships at like DirecTV and AT&T where I was kind of working on big data. But I think some of the coolest projects I worked on was back at SoundHound, I built a, uh, I built a uh, guess that lyric game, so like it would, it would play a song, and then you could say what the what the what the song was and win points. And then I built like a the actually the last voice powered AI uh, thing I built was a was a search over a big box retailer's product catalog based on voice. So you could say like um, red colored shoes with laces uh, in size ten, and it would like. It was basically like an Amazon style search, but with your voice. Actually, kind of, <laughs> kind of prophetic, given that I've I'm, I've now landed myself in retail. But um, yeah, I mean, I I just loved the kinds of projects that that leveraged cutting edge technologies to build something that had never been built before. Right? I mean, no no one no one wants to be a code monkey, just kind of like reinventing the wheel and and coding away uh, something that like fix, fixing a solved problem. People want to be working on unsolved problems. Um, and so I loved when I could kind of tap into the the cutting edge uh, of whatever it was, whether it was AI research or, you know, new services that have just been put out into the world, new integrations, you know, following following technical leaders on Twitter and seeing what they're what they're putting out into the world and then building on top of that. Um, that was always really exciting for me. And I think it's it's also kind of like what I look for in a team, uh, like a technical team is like, are you constantly like keeping your finger on the pulse of all these new technologies? Are you building on top of them? Are you building on the side on top of them, right? Is this just like a passion of yours, like it is of mine? That's something I look for when I'm when I'm hiring. That's really cool. You mentioned the word uh, prophetic, and I, I just wanted to follow up. So did that specific experience um, in retail, applying AI to retail, um, did that just linger in the back of your mind? Or did, or, or did you, from that experience, like, wow, I have so many ideas. And then when you, you know, uh, left SunHoud, you worked at other companies like Untapped and stuff that always kind of stayed in the back of your mind until it just yeah. got to a point where like, you know what, I have to do this. Well, yeah, you know, yeah, Preston, I think the question behind the question here is is like what what's kind of the seed of of motivation that that keeps me at Canal and, and made me start it and keeps me going. And really, I think the the way that I got into Canal is actually better explained by my time at Untapped, where what we were doing there was we were a recruiting company and I was the head of AI. And what I was trying to work on was uh, an algorithm that would evaluate people, candidates, um, beyond the traditional resume LinkedIn page way of doing things, right? And why that 
kind of spoke to me was, was as a diehard entrepreneur myself, I, I get my kicks from helping others do what entrepreneur does for me, which is achieve your own def- definition of success in life, right? And so I think why that means retail is because retail is kind of this really uh, variegated, hyper-changing, really fluid space where I think uh, anyone can kind of come in and make an impact. And and that's in large part thanks to Shopify, um, who you know has this incredible mission of uh, arming the rebels against Amazon and empowering the next generation of of entrepreneurs. That their their mission and their vision always really spoke to me. Um, and so, pretty much by lowering this barrier of entry to get into retailer or really anything. I mean, you can have a Shopify store that does anything. It can sell NFTs. It can sell tickets to concerts. Right. Um, I think it's just really lowering the barrier of entry to make money online. Um, that really spoke to me as someone who who loves empowering other entrepreneurs or loves empowering other people to achieve their own definitions of success. And so that was really the 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 motivator that brought me to to Canal and and I mean into the into the Shopify and into the e-commerce space in general um, and to where I am today. I appreciate that. Let's just dive in a little bit more with Canal. So how exactly did you get started? Was it cold turkey? You decided quit untapped and just dive in head first? Did you start on the side? You know, did you have a co-founder? How many co-founders did you have? Did you guys bootstrap? Did you immediately try to raise a raise a kind of a, a pre-seed or seed? Like, what were the first days like? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it just so happens that I'm sitting in in the the basement of my home in Colorado, where where the company was founded. Um, I've since moved to moved to San Francisco to um, be boots on the ground in an office. But um, but yeah, two years ago, uh, in this very basement was where where it all started. Um, yeah, so I have two co-founders, um, two amazing co-founders, um, Bennett and Clay, and it was kind of this perfect storm. I mean, I, I think every successful startup founding is it has to be kind of a perfect storm, but um, it was this perfect storm where Bennett uh, had been a VC monitoring the the um, the space for a while. He had been investing in um, direct-to-consumer marketplaces and specifically just knew a lot about retail, and then simultaneously, I, I had just right before founding canal had taken a 17 hour road trip we did it all in one day uh with with a, a close friend of mine who's a d2c founder um runs a sweater business and we were talking just all about shopify and nerding out over shopify and all the amazing things that um can be done leveraging the shopify app store and so when i started talking to bennett he was he was kind of he knew the problem space right um he kind of came with the problem and i came with the answer right he knew that there was there was a need for something like Canal. Uh, the market was screaming for something um, like what we do. And I was like, well, I, I know exactly how to build that. And I know the perfect person to come help us um, build it. And that, and that was that was Clay Schubiner, uh, who at the time I was I was already working on on a company with. Um, and we hadn't quite found product market fit and, and we were open to any ideas. And, and Bennett kind of came with this problem statement and we we attached ourselves to it, started building it on the side, and and uh, next thing you know, um, we have a deck and money, and, and we're off to the races. That's amazing. Um, so in layman's terms, again, uh, what does Canal do for the audience? Right. Yeah. So Canal is all about guidance. We are trying to help uh, direct-to-consumer brands or people who want to get into direct-to-consumer brands uh, get access to inventory and start selling. And we are help, helping guiding people to do that, right? So what does that actually look like? I think example, Canal is best explained through an example. So um, one of our most beloved customers, Fellow, 
they sell a beautiful coffee kettle, gooseneck coffee kettle. Um, and uh, it's natural to upsell to that customer base coffee. And so we are their connector to the coffee that they sell on their website. And I think another way to understand Canal is, is as a replacement for affiliate links, right? So I don't know if, how much you know about affiliate marketing, but um, a lot of the influencers of old will use affiliate to monetize. But really what that means is like sending your, your audience to, to Amazon, uh, where you may get a kickback if they check out or you may not. But Canal is helping D2C brands build experiences where these purchasing opportunities are native in whatever digital surface you want. So rather than saying, being an Instagram influencer and saying, hey, go to my link in bio, you can say, buy it right here. Rather than being a blogger and saying, um, oh, you know, at the end of this blog, click this Amazon link, you can say, um, buy it right here. And what this does is it, it makes for more interconnected web and um, allows publishers and retailers and people who actually are speaking to their audiences to be close to their customer and, and own their customer experience end to end so that you never have to leave um, a site to go to another site to buy something. You, you, you can be right there and, and feel really close to, to whoever that person is who's creating or curating for you, whether that's an influencer, um, someone you trust. Uh, my, my CEO loves the example of a dog trainer selling uh, pet care products uh, when he drops off your dog after babysitting them. Yeah, but but really it's all about guidance, helping the the next generation of entrepreneurs, guiding them to build a more integrated, more engaging experience for their customers. Can you give me a couple more case studies just to, to fully uh, flesh this out? So let's just say like um, I'm a fitness influencer, right? Yeah. And so what would be the alternative that I would do to promote my products and perhaps other relevant other products without Canal? And then what would now like the um, route look like with Canal? Yeah, great question. So there's, and fitness influencers are the perfect example. So there's really two kind of paths you would go down as an influencer um, trying to monetize through retail. One is affiliate, as I mentioned, right? You'd, you'd join an affiliate network, you'd get a link and that link when clicked and when checked out through would give a kickback to the influencer. So you would say like, uh, you would make an Instagram post saying like, hey, I just did a workout. I used this dumbbell to buy this dumbbell. Check out the link in my bio. I, the customer, would go click that link. And then if I checked out a dumbbell, then Amazon would send the influencer 15% of the purchase, right? Mm -hmm. That's how affiliate links work. So that's one option. And then the other option is to engage in a wholesale relationship, right? With the supplier themselves. So, you, so I, the fitness instructor, would have to you know put down tens of thousands of dollars to get a bunch of weights. And then I could list them on my own page or something, right? I could spin up a Shopify store and list these weights and say, hey, I just did this workout, um, buy it on my own site. And so the former uh, strategy affiliate links is problematic because it involves, you know, sending people away from, from your experience, right? If you're a fitness instructor, you, you, your whole livelihood is based around how many eyeballs you have on your site or your blog or your, or your page, whatever that is, right? And you're literally sending people away and you're also not collecting their information, right? Because they're checking out with an Amazon account or um, a walmart.com account or something, right? They're not, they're not your customer. So affiliate is problematic in that way. And then wholesale is problematic for a pretty obvious way. If you're a fitness influencer, maybe you, maybe it's pretty risky to drop, you know, $50,000 on um, 2000 dumbbells or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you, you'd, rather kind of like dip your toes in and and try a more asset light approach. An affiliate 
So affiliate is asset light, but it's leaky and, and you don't own the customer. And then wholesale is expensive and asset heavy, right? You need to get a 3PL, you need to figure out how to warehouse all these products. So Canal is kind of this answer to this need where we are asset light and you own the customer. So you, the fitness instructor, would go on the Canal network and you would search for the product you want to sell. You'd search for the dumbbell that you used. And then you would establish a partnership with this brand who sells the dumbbells, agree on an economic split and everything. And then you can go ahead and list that dumbbell right on your site. And Canal uh, builds a, we offer a ton of different positioning tools for, for this influencer, right? So they could market through text. They could market on a Shopify page. They can market through a, a buy button. That's a piece of HTML injected into um, their blog, you know, like their uh, WordPress blog or something, right? So um, that is what Canal does. We we both are the access to the inventory, and then we are also guiding people to, or guiding our customers to help them build the best experience, the most compelling experience for their customers. What um, are most of the users of Canal? Are they like the influencers, or are they like bigger established brands? Is it a good mix? Yeah, that's that's a good question. So uh, it, it's really fun to see the network effect kind of happening at Canal. What what will happen is traditionally our our storefronts the the which so so a little bit of Canal lingo here, but storefronts are are the brands that are actually selling the things, and then suppliers are the brands that are are supplying the things, right? So the in your example, the fitness influencer is the storefront, right? And then the dumbbell uh, company is the is the supplier. And um, typically our storefronts are, are bigger, you know, they, they command a wider audience. Maybe they're um, like a more enterprise direct to consumer brand, or maybe they're like a really, really popular influencer. Um, and the reason that our storefronts are bigger is because then they kind of pull in the suppliers, right? Because if you have a storefront that has a really big audience, then they will command a lot of interest from suppliers. Um, they'll say, yeah, of course that person can sell my stuff because like they're the best and I'm a huge fan of them, right? If we use an example of one of our other customers, Eight Sleep, are you familiar with Eight Sleep? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, they were able to connect with a bunch of um, pillows and bedding uh, brands because, you know, all of those brands were like, well, we love Eight Sleep. Eight Sleep is a huge name in our space. Of course, we'll work with them, right? And so typically when we're looking at storefronts, we pick ones with with really kind of wide audiences and, and dedicated audiences, right? People who are who are diehard fans of these brands. So is your platform also gated from the user's point of view as well or perspective? Like, are you only allowing big brands, big influencers to join or can like the average small influencer use Canal as well? Yeah, so so we're, we're currently uh, waitlisted and invite only. So we do gate our, our customer base um, for... Uh, for that side, we are a little bit more lenient when it comes to suppliers, because oftentimes the uh, storefronts will come in with their, you know, own ideas of what a good supplier could be. Right. <clears throat> so like, and often a lot of storefronts will kind of want to prop up suppliers that are, that are less well-known. So uh, we just, we just had a, had a launch with Fishwife, um, which is a, a really up and coming tin fish company in LA. And they uh, just did a collaboration with uh, Carla Lolly Music, who is an amazing uh, chef and and posts a lot of recipes on her on her media channels. And so um, they collaborated on like a kind of a food based marketplace, right? Consumables marketplace. How far along are you with the roadmap? Or is there a specific feature that you and your team are building right now? What are some things that the audience can perhaps 
um, expect or, you know, be excited to see in the future, maybe a little teaser. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, I'm, I keep going back to this, this point of guidance, right. And so to be able to guide, uh, our customers to build the most engaging experiences possible, we want to give them all the tools necessary to build those experiences. So I mentioned like text order earlier and, you know, bundling post-purchase upsells, um, integrated experiences within any digital surface, right? That's a lot of what our roadmap is, is, is building, you know, tool upon tool to kind of get, put products wherever the customer may be, right? Part of our vision is moving the point of inspiration closer to the point of purchase. And so wherever that inspiration is happening across the web right now, we, we want to be there, right? Whether it's, you know, you're walking down the street with your friend and you say you like their sweater and then they hold up a QR code and you buy it right there, right? Mm -hmm. Wherever that inspiration happens and wherever it hits, uh, we want, we want a canal buying experience to be integrated right there. That's really cool. How big is your team? Yeah. So we, uh, we're, uh, between 30 and 40 right now. Wow. Um, so yeah. And, and I mean, this, this last year has been a, a, a massive period of growth for us. You know, we, we kind of realized within the first couple of months after founding canal that, that we had something and, uh, we needed to kind of like build a team around it and around this amazing core product that, that is, um, so sticky and, and has driven so much value for our customers. So, um, we have an incredible engineering team, um, and an incredible go-to-market team, you know, uh, solving the problem of, of how do we get this product in our customers' hands and, and how do we kind of teach and instruct them and guide them, um, to best use it. And then of think- course, my team, the product team that, uh, that, that writes the ship. For sure. A team of 3040 is certainly respectable, especially in the climate that we're all finding ourselves in. How did you, how did the company, it seemed like 2022 was, it was a great year. Um, are you doing any necessary planning positioning, um, to make sure, uh, 2023, uh, is a solid year for you guys, or in other words, asking question a different way, what does the retail kind of future landscape look like and how are you, uh, and, and the rest of the company and co-founders positioned to kind of capitalize on it? Yeah, it's a really great question. And I think, you know, retail has been through a bit of a roller coaster over the past two years, as you can imagine with the pandemic, the narrative there is that, you know, all these brands went online and investors kind of acted as though, uh, retail would never move offline again, but that's completely wrong. Uh, retail has moved offline and it's, it's also moved online, but to different places, right? Mm -hmm. Customers don't want to just like go to, uh, a cookie cutter site, type into a search box what they want and check out, right? They want, I mean, they still want to do that. There's still a market for that. People are always going to go to Amazon, but people also want to like shop exclusive drops. They want to be texted um, when something new appears, right? They they want to shop from physical retail stores again, all of a sudden, right? They want to go out to, to a mall and actually shop there. So um, I think the the narrative of Canal has kind of mirrored that that narrative of of the larger retail market that we have built this core product that um, is really sticky, um, really compelling to customers of you know the ability to place inventory that exists in one place uh, in another, mm-hmm. and now we're kind of like thinking about all the all the spins on that that we can um, build to kind of take it to market in new and interesting ways. So. Um, where we're beta testing uh, like an in-person retail uh, version where you buy, where the customer buys a product, a physical product, um, and the same economic split arrangement that happens online 
uh, actually happens right in the moment, but there, there's no, you know, shipping of, of orders. There's no kind of like fulfillment that happens behind the scene. Um, but the economics are the same. So we're kind of, you know, exploring, you know, what is, what is, what does canal look like in this new physical landscape in this new retail landscape where it's both physically based and also like experience based, I think is another way to put it, right? It's, it's not just going to store typing into a search bar. It's, it's shopping drops, shopping from Instagram and shopping TikTok. Yeah. I mean, who knows where the customer of the future is going to shop, but canal is going to be there. I love it. In terms of just the, the roadmap, do you also do things you mentioned, I believe earlier in the conversation website that just caught me thinking of, do you also go so far as to help design and develop like, you know, optimize landing pages via Shopify as well. And like, yeah, did you, yeah. or even a funnel beyond that. Yes, absolutely. And so, so this is why I, I, I like to say that the, the primary thing that canal does is, is guide people because oftentimes we've, we've taken on uh, customers who, who really just need help, you know, running their Shopify page, or maybe we're taking on an influencer. We're talking to an influencer who uh, just spun up their Shopify store for the first time and they need a lot of help, you know, figuring out their their marketing strategy and um, outreach and, and, you know, converting people from their social channels to their to their Shopify store for the first time. And uh, we help with that, right? I think as we've kind of gotten the game film on what's worked for our customers over the last two years, we've we've realized that we we can help people more than just by applying our own technology to their use cases, right? We can we can help them in, in myriad ways. So um, it's interesting. We, we've, we've kind of moved almost into like uh, marketing strategy consulting uh, from time to time, but it's all needs-based. I mean, at the end of the day, we want to do whatever our customers need and we, we, wanna, we want products to get sold. Mm-hmm. And so whatever that's going to take, whether it's, you know, giving people access to inventory or helping them position that inventory in better ways, uh, we're going to help them do that. I'm personally a huge fan of the, the ongoing development of the creator economy, uh, which is obviously hasn't been around for a long time. And it's really, really fascinating to see how the space continues to evolve. Um, and with that, how people of, of influence, like influencers, um, use different ways or evolving ways to connect, engage, and and monetize, convert, right? Like a lot of their followings. And so I too have been, you know, uh, whether purchasing things from influencers or being at the end of 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 social ads on on different platforms, I I, I find marketing media to be a, a very dynamic and just uh, a really kind of evolving, uh, really cool space. And so it, it'll be interesting to see how how Canal, how you and the team continue to adapt to the, to the changes and the evolution to, to continue to offer the most cutting edge and experience. Uh, yeah. And Preston, you actually, you actually just, just called out the, the elephant in the room, which is ads. Right. And I think like you and me and, and the consumer of the future, we're, we're getting, we're, we're, we live in an ads aware world, right. We're like the internet of old web two was all about monetizing through ads, right. That's how Facebook made money. That's how Twitter made money. That's how everyone made money. Mm-hmm. But we're, I think we're entering into a world where ads no longer work on us. We're becoming a little bit, a little bit immune to ads. And so there's this massive, massive, massive market opportunity opening up in like with the death of ads and who's going to take up that mantle and what is that shopping experience going to look like? Canal's there for that. That's the whole reason for being. Do you see a future where a lot of these big brands out there, let's just say uh, Nike, for instance, um, that they're going to have to think more carefully on how they integrate their brands specifically with influencers and that creator economy moving forward. I, I think uh, I just read this very fascinating article that 
more and more uh, consumers, especially young people, they don't want to go to like a, a general sports store to purchase, right? They, they want to buy from people that they like that have influence over them. And so that could be like the new form of shopping, the new form of engagement. Uh, then going to like a, a very, you know, faceless, uh, non-specific store to see, you know, if they sell whatever item that you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the word that you're kind of circling around and not saying is trust, right? People want to shop where they trust. And I think a, the, like what, what Amazon is doing and what a lot of online brands are doing is, is just commoditizing their goods. Mm-hmm. Everyone's just trying to win the cheaper wars, you know, <clears throat> but what everyone is missing is, well, there's going to come a day where I'm not going to want to buy the cheapest thing. I'm going to want to buy the best thing. And how am I going to go about finding the best thing? Well, I'm going to ask a trusted source, mm-hmm. whether that's New York Times Wirecutter or um, a blogger that I like or a YouTuber that I like, right? Or, or even one of my friends, right? I think we're moving into a world where recommendations hold a lot more weight than they do than, than they did in the past, right? And in the times of old, it was just, I need a thing. And as long as I can get that thing, it's great. And now we are much more aware consumers where we're, we're saying, I don't just want a thing. I want like uh, I want to subscribe to to an ideal and a, and a set of values and beliefs that I that I agree with. Right? It's you know moving in the direction of conscious consumerism. I love it. It's, it's just so fascinating to be like alive during this time of being able to kind of literally go through the transition um, versus just being born fifty years from now when a lot of it has already been changed. So it, it's it's very fascinating. I personally love all things commerce, retail, and it's just. Uh, really, really cool what you guys are doing. I want to ask, so let's circle back, team of 30, 40 um, in this climate, just hats off to you, the co-founders uh, for attracting amazing, seeming like amazing talent. What has been your, for the audience, like what has been your uh, favorite method to use when it comes to just recruiting and attracting great talent out there in a very, very competitive market space? Yeah, I mean, well, a great team begets a great team, right? So I think it all started with the seed of, of, keeping our bar incredibly high and hiring incredibly, incredibly top talent. And then that top talent attracted other top talent, right? Both, both directly through referrals and and indirectly through, you know, when you're interviewing at a place and you kind of see all the people who are there and you're, you're eating lunch with them during, during an onsite, you're realizing, um, wow, this is, this is a place of ambition. And this is a place where people, you know, stay hungry and, and want to work. And when people notice that, if if they gel with that vibe, then they then they come aboard, right? Um, and it becomes kind of a self-selecting thing, right? So by keeping a team that maintains a very very high sense of quality and set of expectations for themselves, people you know turn away if if they don't want to work hard and if they want to you know just kind of like keep the pandemic coast going. Um, but but no, I mean uh, the team that we built here is is incredible. Uh, I wouldn't be where, where I am today without them. And um, it's, it's the reason I keep going. It's the reason I love being a founder is, is the team. What are some of the unique reasons internally why you think someone should join Canal? Is there an X factor that you guys do with culture? You mentioned you do the you know, offsides, team outings, and anything here that makes you guys unique? Well, I mean, the team makes us unique, first of all. Uh, we do have an incredible team. And I think, I mean, I, I think we're onto something here at Canal, right? And like, we are building a rocket ship. And if you want to be a part of this rocket ship, not just, not just hanging on to it, but actually building it and maintaining the thrusters that are helping us leave the atmosphere, then like, and if that's the kind of environment you thrive in, it, to some it's, you know, too stressful and, and uh, expectations are too much and people 
uh, can crack under the pressure. But um, if that's the kind of environment you thrive in, like myself, then then that's the reason you would come aboard uh, is to work on something really, really hard that you can be proud of at the end of the day and hopefully um, you know make some money when it does well and when we empower all of our customers to do well as well. You mentioned uh, you you're, you have an office at the West Coast. You're you're in your home uh, in Colorado. Is your team distributed? Is it fully in office? What is your stance on that? Uh, yes, yes. You've hit upon one of our other big selling points is we have a staunchly intentional in-office culture. Yeah, so we are in office uh, three days a week. My being in Colorado is actually an anomaly. It's only because we're so close to the holidays that I'm here. But um, we love, love, love our in-office culture. Um, I think 90% plus, maybe 95% of the team is is in either our San Francisco or New York office. Both offices have incredibly unique and exciting and super, super fun personalities. And uh, we just have so much fun together. And, you know, we we work and we play and sometimes work is play. Um, but it's just reminded me that, you know, going through going through COVID and going through the pandemic and then coming out the other side and being in an office again has just taught me just how much I love people and how much I love working on a team and, and experiencing these these micro interaction that you that you don't get from from being remote, right? When you're remote, everything is you have to be intentional about every interaction you have with another human being. But when you're in the office, you know, you're you're sitting next to someone at a desk and you know, you decide to, you know, say something to them and they decide to say something to you, and all of a sudden, like you've created something. We actually had a had a had a breakthrough at canal and, and we called it the kitchen proposal because um it came out of a conversation that was just happening in our in our office kitchen around the water cooler right and you just don't get that kind of stuff um being remote and so this in-person culture has been a particularly compelling reason for younger employees to join right people who maybe went through college uh remotely right people who started their careers remotely right who who don't really know what it's like to have that traditional office experience. And I think, you know, tradition, we've completely flouted tradition. I mean, there's nothing about our our office that is that is traditional, but I think people like want to be around others. We are humans are, you know, social creatures and I feel that every day being in the office around people, having fun, shouting, uh coming up with ideas, brainstorming. It's just so so much fun being in an office with people. It's refreshing uh to hear from your perspective uh, how clear you you see this. I, I know that a lot of companies are just compromising on just the traditional hybrid. A lot of them are more indexed on fully remote. And I would say it's probably combining those two are probably the majority versus companies like, you know what, we want to just be in office and, and we understand the pros of an office and mm-hmm. we want to be able to create our, our team around that. So I think for people who resonate uh, with this talk so far, resonate with what you and the canal are building, perhaps they're in the West Coast, perhaps not. Maybe it's a, it's a, it's a good reason to reload to the West Coast if, if they were itching to. Um, so for people who uh, hope maybe one day to 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 work with you and the team, uh, what what sort of positions do you think would you might be hiring for into the future? Um, and my second question is just a fault to that. The people that that you've considered, you've interviewed, what what are something specifically that you is like a huge cherry on top or or a brownie points when you see it on someone's portfolio or resume or cover letter that really kind of, you know, gets you excited or resonates with you? Yeah. So first of all, no, no reason to relocate from the East Coast. We have a New York office. Mm-hmm. Um, and second of all, what do I look for in a candidate? I mean, self-motivation, I think is kind of the is kind of the trite answer, but I'll I'll do kind of a um, more nuanced take on it. I think I said this earlier in our chat, but 
people who are, you know, keeping their finger on the pulse, who are always looking at new technologies, who are aware of the changing environment around them, whether you're an engineer and that's the technical environment, or whether you're a marketer and you're learning of new ways that people are are marketing, or whether you're a, a product manager and you're you're you know following all the product newsletters and all the the great minds on Twitter and constantly rethinking how best to to build product and run teams that that build product. That's what I look for is people who who I can actually have like a conversation with about what the state of the world is in their professional environment, right? Um, because at Canal, we are constantly changing our environment and we're we're building product that is that is changing the game of, of what you can do online as a as an e-commerce operator. And so we want to only have people who are ready to change the game. Let's talk about just the flow. So if people in the audience uh perhaps they would love to either apply to Canal as a supplier or perhaps mm-hmm. one day they would love to join the wait list. What is like the sign up and the flow look like for, for both sides and the kind of timeline? Yeah. So, so like I said, it's, it's all about audience and it's all about reach. Okay. And if you are a, an influencer or a brand who's kind of like just getting off the ground, look to brands and that you respect, see what they're doing, maybe open a conversation with them. And if you can find a brand that you can connect with, and you can approach Canal and say, hey, I already have a partner that I'm ready to work with. That is so, so, so much more compelling for us, right? Like we want people who are thinking beyond their business to uh, this world of collaborative commerce um, that we are empowering, right? And so if you come to us um, with an idea in mind, with a with a relationship and a, a collaboration in mind, um, maybe a collaboration between multiple brands and multiple influencers, uh, then we are we are all ears, right? Like this this example I, I mentioned earlier in the call of Fishwife working with Carla Lolly, like that's um, a brand that's a storefront working with an influencer, and then they also had ten plus suppliers that they were working with, right? Mm. So by kind of like combining um, and really creating a community around uh, this value that they're delivering to customers, that's the kind of thinking that we want to have in in the canal network and the canal community. And so if you can come to us with with an idea already kind of like fleshed out of, of how you would leverage communal commerce to create a novel experience for customers, then that's that's what we love. And we'd be we'd be a lot more willing to to hear your pitch. For uh brands and influencers that are working, does it how much does it cost to work with Canal? Is it do you have to pay something up front monthly? Is it back end? Uh yeah. No, we are completely success based, Preston. So no upfront fee, no platform fee. No monthly. Uh, if you make money, we make money. And that's another reason why we are so, so, so protective of our network because these terms are extremely, extremely attractive. And uh, we only want to invest in people who we know are going to um, you know, be able to drive that volume. That really makes it worthwhile for us. That's wonderful. Um, so how does like your day-to-day look like as a founder? Uh, as a co-founder, chief product officer for people who are fascinated about the lives of, of just founders in general, would you be able to share a little more color on that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think my work can be split up into three buckets, management, uh, IC work, and and founder work, I'll call it, right? So management, of course, I, I manage three teams, uh, data science, design, and product management. And so um, that's a lot of editorial work, right? A, a great mentor of mine once told me that moving from IC into management um, means uh, editing more things and generating less. Um, and so I, I take a largely editorial role. You know, I get my eyes on most designs, on most product briefs, on most specs, um, just making sure that everything is is aligned and working towards the the mission of the company. And then 
I see work, I, you know, I mean, back when we were just the founders, three people, I obviously was the, I product spec every single thing we built back then, right? Including our, our core product. Um, but now I only manage um, a couple of key products a quarter. This quarter I'm, I'm managing four, uh, including that kind of foray into physical retail that I mentioned earlier. So I I will manage a handful of, of key strategic product projects um, a quarter. And then finally, the, the founder work, I mean, I call it founder work, but really anyone can do founder work. That really just means like doing whatever the company needs to be done. Mm-hmm. On, on a given day, for example, we had a we had a customer trying to turn on subscriptions um, the other day, and uh, they were facing an issue actually with their subscriptions provider. It wasn't even with Canal, mm-hmm. um, but I you know hopped on a call with them at at 11 p.m. and we kind of like worked out all the kinks and debugged their subs- uh, subscriptions provider, um, and we got them up and running with subscriptions and helped them launch on time. So I think that that like you know, 33, 33, 33 split between management, IC, and, and founder work pretty much captures, encapsulates what I do from day to day. Can you touch upon like the, the head of departments and even you and the other co-founders just leadership management philosophy for the team? Yes, absolutely. Um, I love talking about management philosophy. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of the um, bottoms up management style, the inverted pyramid, mm-hmm. where we as leaders are um, in service of our employees, right? So as I, I, I mentioned earlier that, you know, engineers are artists. I see managers as um, their patrons, right? We are kind of removing all the blockers that they need to, uh, to, to do their art. We're setting them up in the studio. We're buying their paint, right? We are um, making sure that they have everything they need to do their best work. So, and, and that's the way I treat my team. I mean, I, I have the utmost deepest, deepest respect for every single member on, on my team. They're all so smart, so driven, so ambitious. And it's my job really to just get out of their way and remove all the blockers from their way um, so that they can can really shine. I'm sure a lot of people in the audience um, probably found that response very refreshing. It's 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 one hand to to say that it's on the other hand uh, to execute on that. And so um, I think I think that's uh, it's a philosophy that I deeply personally also believe in myself. It's fantastic that you and the co-founders and the team at Canal are doing that. Is your team structured? Is it relatively flat? How how how, how is it organized? Each department? Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's all pretty flat. I think, um, and, and I mean, like regardless of of you know, what it says in our HR software, the, the hierarchy of, of the company is mm-hmm. every voice is, is heard and every voice is meaningful, right? Um, any person at the company can DM me or fill out our feature request form and, and inform the product roadmap at the drop of a hat, right? I have one-on-ones, uh, I have one-on-ones with a member of every single department, um, to try to get, um, signal from all different kinds of voices throughout the company, right? I want to know what our salespeople think we should be building. I want to know what our marketing team and our customer success managers think we should be building. I I, I truly believe that the product team should not should not be maintaining an ivory tower where we are, you know, the font of all ideas. Um, instead, the product a great product team is is just a filter. We're a filter of ideas, and the best ideas are actually coming from outside of our team and being filtered through us and. Uh, our job is really just to be as close to the customer and as close to the market and and have done enough research to filter out the ideas that that are not as impactful and and, and let through the ideas that are most impactful. Or being a founder that's leading a, a company that's essentially staying at the cutting edge of just commerce with the evolution of technology and everything that's taken place, 
uh, talking about social media, which is what are your just personal thoughts with like tech platforms like TikTok and even more like audio based uh, social platforms and, and the way that um, or maybe new ways you're seeing uh, influencers or brands engage and monetize and just convert um, a lot of the followers base on, on those newer kind of small, more recent platforms that are coming onto the scene. Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, I mean, Canal, you know, as a company makes no claim about what the future of commerce will look like. And we're really just positioning ourselves to be kind of like sitting in the background, powering whatever experience that may be. And so, yeah, I mean, whether, you know, people are shopping in the metaverse or whether people are shopping on TikTok, uh, we're going to be there for that. I think if you ask me personally, what I think the future of, of commerce will look like is if you really take this idea of trust to its logical conclusion, people are going to stop purchasing more and more from these kind of like centralized conglomerates and start purchasing more and more from like a tip from a friend, right? Or their favorite influencer, right? And so I think your your question was kind of platform-based. Like, do you think the future of commerce will be on TikTok or will it be on? I don't think that really is the right question. The right question is um, who will the shopper of the future be purchasing from? And they'll be purchasing from the sources that they trust the most. And so wherever that trust is best built, that's where that's where the retail money will be spent. If we have uh, big influencers and brands that are listening in and they would love to sign up. Where can they sign up? Yeah. So go to go to our website, shopcanal.com, S-H-O-P-C-A-N-A-L.com. Hit up our wait list. And like I said, if you come to us, you know, with a pre-made pitch of, of what your unique customer experience that you're going to build will look like, that's all the better. Um, you're much more likely to rock it to the top of the wait list. We love, love, love people who are thinking in the same way that we are about um, communal commerce and partnerships. Wonderful. If people who hope to one day join your team, where can they keep tabs of some of the open positions? Yep. Also shopcanal.com slash careers. Uh, that's where all our open positions are, as well as our values and a bunch of stuff about our team that you Amazing. can learn. And what about if people want to reach out to you directly for advice, uh, um, questions, where can they find you, Liam? Yeah. So you can find me on LinkedIn at slash Liam Kinney, or you can DM me on Twitter at uh, slash Liam Kinney as well. And one of our favorite ways to, to, to end the podcast is just to ask you for those um, that have been listening in and would love to just follow in your footsteps one of these days, uh, whether it's having a successful career, whether it's having that leap of faith to, to build something on your own, what is one advice you'd like to share? Yeah. So if, if you're, if you're a highly ambitious, high achieving individual, you are probably going to have some amount of uh, reliance on external validation um, to drive you forward. Um, especially if you went to, you know, a brand name college or something. And I'm here to tell you that um, that external validation uh, is a lie. And the only true validation that can make you um, move forward in life uh, will come from within. And one rule of thumb that I that I employed when I was kind of like making the switch um, both into startups and then eventually to my own startup is to cut your timelines in half. So whatever timeline you think, you know, if you're thinking, oh, I'll, you know, I'll quit my job in a year, that's when I'll be ready to do so and so. No, cut it in half, cut it to six months, and then try cutting it in half even further. Right? Be constantly asking yourself, like, what would it, what would your life look like if you just did the thing you want to do 
today. Would that be possible? I think you'd find it probably would be. And a lot of the things that are holding you back are are just um, assumptions and maybe a lack of faith in yourself. In other words, you'll just never be ready. If you if you want to do it, just do it. Action, execute. Do it, just do it. Yeah, exactly. I definitely appreciate you taking time, especially out of your lovely home uh, in, in, in Colorado, <laughs> the founding space of, of Canal, Liam. But I truly appreciate you taking time. I know how limited times are for founders like yourself. So I'm very, very grateful for that. And just also really appreciate the fact how honest and raw you were from what inspired <laughs> you to pursue Latin and computer science in college <laughs> to your first couple of jobs, engineering to product and your perspectives on product and how it helped you have uh, become a better founder just by, by being able to leverage those previous experience. And then to also see you build a company to finally uh, get that scratch your entrepreneurial itch to lock arms with your founders and, and really build something that I think will be everywhere when it comes to commerce. And so I'm personally excited for someone who's very fast about retail, DDC, e-com to see which influencers, which brands will continue to, to, to be powered by Canal. And for, for those that are uh, perhaps influencers right now who are listening in, certainly uh, put Canal on your radar or go to their website and reach out to them. And if you are um, resonated and you're inspired by Liam and his uh, team's mission, please also feel free to go to the site and keep tabs with their open positions as they will be hiring a ton as they are literally a rocket ship about right. to blast so many, into space. So many open rules, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's been an absolute pleasure and thank you so much. We will certainly keep in touch and I wish... You and the team, nothing but tremendous success. Um, and of course, a happy holidays and happy New Year's. And we'll see you in 2023, Liam. Thank you, Preston. You too. It's a pleasure. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe for other great stories that are coming up. If you need any help with hiring, know of anyone who's looking for a job or would like to be a guest on this podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at www.kickstartfinder.com. Really, really appreciate it. And we'll see you on the next one.